Hey, this is Kevin Weatherby at Save the Cowboy. I want you to tow that stirrup, throw a leg over the candle, take a deep seat, and pull your hat down tight. I ain't gonna tolerate no whining or griping, so let's all strike a long trot down that narrow trail and learn how to ride with God. Come on! What you waiting on? Let's go. I got a question. Why would you want to be a cowboy? Um, <laughs> Lee's laughing over here. Why Why would you want to be a cowboy? I mean, it, it's after yesterday today we're all beat up and sore and and tired and and uh and you know we obviously don't do it for the money um we obviously don't do it for the glamour um so a lot of if you ask a, a lot of cowboys they one of the main reasons they do it is is for freedom independent uh cowboys are a real independent sort and they like the freedom of of the lifestyle and the freedom of being able to be out and doing doing your work <laughs> A lot of times by yourself, you know, with a horse and a dog, and and uh, or just a couple of couple of hands with you, um, and the freedom of having your own schedule and you know making your own decisions, and a lot of times not having a boss breathing down your neck, not having coworkers in the next cubicle, um, seeing everything you do, and and so it's great. It's and, and people tell me all the time, man, you're lucky you have all that freedom, and I'm, and that's true. That I I'm very fortunate to. To have that freedom, but but a lot of what a lot of people don't realize is with with freedom comes two things: responsibility and consequence. And and those are the two things I think in this world right now a lot of people in our society don't understand because this is this week is our in our we celebrate our independence. You hear, well, this is a free country; I can do whatever I want. Well, that's true. It is free. We are free. We're free because because uh, some some fellows a long time ago decided that that was the best way for us to be. So who was around when our forefathers fought for independence from the British? Only Gary? <laughs> only Gary. Gary was the only guy. I'm tired, but I still can come up with one one-liner. Nobody was around, okay? No, none of us did that. None of us, none of us earned that. And so we, we get the benefit of that. Who was around when Jesus Christ was crucified? Not a single one of us. But that happened for our freedom too, and, and that, my friends, is called grace. Uh, by, by the grace of our, of our forefathers of this country, we, ha we live in a free society, uh, and by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, we... We, ha we are free from sin, and, and we haven't earned either one of them. Nothing we did caused that. So, so uh, our responsibility is to maintain that and, and to take those gifts and, and be respectful of them. And when, when I read my Bible and, and it talked about freedom, Paul talks a lot about the freedom that, that Jesus gave us when, when he was crucified, and, and, he, and he freed us from sin. He didn't free us, free us to sin, okay? He, he didn't free us so we could just go out there and, and do a bunch of sinning. And, that, and that's what I think a lot of people see in, in, in this world is, man, it, it's a free world. I can do whatever I want. And, and so I'm just going to go out and, and, you know, heck with everybody else. I'm going to do what I feel like doing. And uh, so it's, we don't have freedom to sin. We have freedom from sin because of him. And, and uh, so our responsibility is to, to, you know, honor that and, 
and try to live our lives in a way in our society uh, that honors those people that, that died for us and shed their blood and honor our Lord that shed his blood for us. And uh, Paul talks about we don't, we don't have freedom to sin, we have freedom to serve. And in Galatians 5, verse 13, it says, For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. So what's the consequences of, of just saying, well, I'm free, I'm going to go do whatever I want? There's a penal system in, in this country that, that takes care of the, you know, part of that in society. And, and, uh, but the consequence of, of, of just doing whatever we want in, in God's eyes is, is that we become enslaved to our sin. It doesn't free us. It doesn't, the, the things we do wrong, the things we keep doing wrong, the things that we keep doing against God don't free us up. It's not freedom. It's, we have freedom. God gave us free will to choose that. But when we continue to sin and keep doing the same thing, it enslaves us to that. And, it's late, and, in, in, and Paul talks about that quite a bit in his letters about people that are being enslaved by sin. And, and, um, and it's a choice that we make every day whether or not we, we want to do that. When I read that, it was pretty profound to me. We have freedom from sin, not freedom to sin. So I, I hope that this week we can, we can all remember that. And, and as we celebrate our independence, let's celebrate it in the, in the right way by, by honoring our country and all the, the men and women who have died for it and continue to, to work to keep us that way, to keep us free, to where we get to make a lot of our own decisions and, and celebrate our Lord for doing the same thing, for, for shedding his blood so that we could have eternal life and have freedom from sin. Hope everybody has a great week. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the freedom that we have in in not only our country but in but in our hearts because of your Son Jesus Christ. And we're thankful for the opportunities we have to to make decisions. We're thankful for free will. We're thankful for the the life that we get to live. Just ask that you be with all those that are that are sick and hurting and and. Uh, use your power, Lord, to heal them and, and, and just do your will and be with those that are the loved ones that are uh, hurting and, and suffering because of that. Ask you to be with this ministry and all the things that we do and, and uh, help, help us as leaders guide us down the road that, that you want us to, to go to. And, and most of all, Lord, God, just thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Without him, we would have no hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Man, I love that. That was awesome. Good morning, everybody. <clears throat> My name is Kevin Weatherby. Me and Ty are trying to get used to saying that because we do have people that maybe not here today, but uh, if this is your first time at Save the Cowboy, welcome. Uh, this is a ministry. It's a, We have a weekly uh, service here at the fairgrounds. Uh, this is a sick pen for sinners, not a show ring for saints. Uh, we, we want y'all to, to go through these steps to, to gather the lost and bring back those that are straight away. That's kind of our ministry at Save the Cowboy. And, and not everybody's lost, man. Some of you might have been uh, part of that straight away where, where you used to, to be tight with God, but then life happened and, and maybe bad relationships happened or maybe, I don't know what the case may be, but maybe you just kind of strayed off the path. Well, 
welcome back because we can go a hundred miles off the off the narrow trail but the good news is is that it's only one step back and that's called repentance so um we are glad that you're here today we want to grow in the grace and knowledge of our lord and savior jesus christ uh and um and, and then apply that grace and knowledge to our life the grace is like ty talked about we got something that we didn't deserve Jesus took everything that he didn't deserve. He took our sin, was punished for it, and gave us his perfection. Now, that doesn't make us perfect, but in the eyes of God, we are. God said in Hebrews, I will remember their sins no more. Only God has the power to truly forget and forgive. So that on that day, when each and every one of you, each and every one of you, your eyes will close, your heart will stop. And whenever you reach that narrow gate, God's going to look at you, and he's going to look for one thing, your faith in Jesus Christ. And if your faith in Jesus Christ is there, he's going to see his son. He ain't going to see you. And he's going to say, come on in here, boy. What you waiting on? But yet, if you don't have it, and you're going to be turned away, choose wisely. Go out into the world, make disciples of all men and all nations. We, we've, we've, got, we've got a command to go out and, and be the light of the world. And I'm not saying that all of you are going to start preaching on street corners or anything. No, God's going to put you in the where he needs you. And, and you following him, you having him in your heart is the light that's, that, that, that others will be attracted to. Okay? So, uh, anyway, I, I pray that y'all are growing and uh or should i say gather growing and going if you got your bibles turn with me to ephesians chapter 5 i've been excited and dreading this day for a long time because it is extremely personal okay it's extremely personal and um to stand up in front of strangers and air your dirty laundry is terrifying but i know that god's got a message for you, and um, a lot of times it's these hard lessons that I have to learn that God tells me now pass it on to others, and I was like, that's embarrassing, it's scary, you know, it's very vulnerable, and he says, you know, kind of like my son on the cross, something like that, and I'm, ah, okay, yes sir, we'll do it. So we're, we're, in a ser- we're in the last day, part five, we're actually in part three of part three of a five-part series, called dauntless now dauntless is a word and if you've been here for for all of them you probably know the definition of dauntless by now the definition of dauntless is incapable incapable of being intimidated or subdued we talked about the dauntless life we talked about in part one you can always go to savethecowboy.com click on previous clinics go back and watch all of our services so so if you were a heathen and missed it's fine. You can go. You can become unheathen by going and watching it. Okay, not really. You know, I'm joking. But you know, um, we don't keep track, but we do notice, right? Just so you know, not really. Uh, so anyway, part one was on how to live a dauntless life. We talked about in, in Ephesians one through one through twenty, where it's this uh, personal responsibility, and and then in, in dauntless uh, part two, we talked about a dauntless duty. Okay, and then in part three, through today, we started talking about how to have a dauntless 
marriage. Now, I know not a lot of you are, you know, some of you are not married. Some of you might wish you weren't married. I don't know, but we hope to change that. This is supposed to be encouraging. This is supposed to be helpful. This is, this is supposed to be motivational, even though it's hard. And most of today, ladies, you are more than welcome, okay? You are more than welcome, but today's for the men. And I'm going to hammer on them, and I'm going to open up their eyes, and I pray that you are the ultimate beneficiary of what happens today. The, the premise behind this, this dauntless marriage is, is, is where we started from uh, Ephesians 5.22, which you ladies love. It says, wives, submit to your husbands. And, and, that just, and I know that that just like fingernails on a chalkboard. What do you mean submit, right, right? And then I said, yeah, you should submit. Because in Ephesians 5.21, it says, submit to each other, okay? Duh, okay? Duh. Yes, God says submit to each other. Of course he's going to say, wives, submit to your uh, husbands. And then he says, husbands, not only submit to your wife, but perform the ultimate. There's no higher form of submission than love. Wives, he doesn't even tell you to love your husbands. He just says submit to them, but... But to the husbands, he says, love your wives as Christ loved the church. You want to talk about a little bit of a, a, a mark to hit? My gosh, you know, they, God's asking us to be like Christ, to love like Christ did. But he's given us the tools to do it. But there was a problem. Okay, we went back and talked about the curse in Genesis chapter 3. And the two curses each handed out to man and woman. We won't talk about the devil's curse because that's more of a theological deal. But the two curses he gave to the man was you will toil and you will struggle. In other words, you'll never get out of it what you put into it. I don't care how hard you work. You'll never, it's like ranching. You're never going to get out of it what you put into it. Okay? That's the toil and the struggle. That's the curse of the man. To the woman. He also gave two curses. First curse is, I will multiply your chain in, your, your chain in childbirth, your pain in childbirth. Freudian slip, I guess. I don't know. I will multiply your pain in childbirth. Okay? And the second one is you'll always have a desire to tell your husband what to do. It's a curse. And you know it's right. And guys, you, you, you know it's right on your side, man. You work so hard and you, you, you try to provide so much and you never get out of it what you put into it. And wives, you know it's true because a lot of times you think your husband's an idiot, okay? I, I know it. It's, it's that way for everybody. It's that way in the preacher's family sometimes, maybe a lot of times. I don't know, okay? But in Ephesians chapter 5, the very last verse, you know, he talks about our personal responsibilities in 1 through 20. And then in 21, he says, submit to, your wife, uh, submit to each other out of your reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. And what I think is funny about those passages is it just says, wives, submit to your husbands. And then it needs like 14 paragraphs to explain to guys, because we're a little hard-headed, of, of how to love your wives, right? And then he sums this part up. He kind of closes it before he moves on, and he says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 33, so again I say, and I love how Paul puts this, he says, each man 
must love his wife as himself, and the wife must respect her husband. The husband's duty of submission is love. The wife's duty of submission is respect. Okay? That's what that means. Submit to each other. Now, the way we do that is the husbands do it out of love, the hus- love for their wives. The way the wives do it is respect for their husband. Now, here's where things get a little screwy, okay? Here's where our loop figure eights. Husbands are good at respecting their wives. I see it all the time. Husbands generally, okay, generally speaking, are very good at respecting their wives. And you know what wives are good at? Loving their husbands. But you see in Ephesians 5.33, it it doesn't say, so again I say, each man must respect his wife and the wife must love her husband. Wives are great at loving their husbands and husbands are great at respecting their wives. But that's not what he told us to do because when we do those things, what we are doing is we are loving the other the way we want to be loved. Each is good at giving what they need, but not good at giving what the other needs. Because, see, a woman doesn't necessarily, it's not that it's a bad thing. I'm not saying not to respect her. Of course we should respect her. And, of course, wives, you should love your husbands. But, you see, um, wives don't need respect. Husbands, they need you to love her. Wives, your husbands don't need respect. Your love, they need your respect. That's what feeds them, okay? And, and, I, and I know that that's kind of tough to understand, and there's a lot of gray area or overlap or something like that. But wives, you don't lift your husband up by snuggling and having long talks and watching rom-coms, okay? That's not what your husband needs. Let's just snuggle and watch a romantic comedy. That, that, That's what you need. That's not what he needs. He needs your support. He needs your trust. He needs your respect. He needs you to say, I'm going to stand. He needs wives to say, I'm going to stand behind you no matter what because I know that you're a godly man and I trust your decisions. That's what your husband needs. But but husbands, you you don't feed your wife by working hard, okay? Those things are nice. You know, she doesn't want you to be a bum and play Xbox all day, okay? That's not what I'm saying. But that's not what feeds her. I mean, my wife told me one time, she said, I would rather live in a shack with you loving me than in a mansion with you never around. You see what I'm saying? You've got to feed the other what they need, not what you need. Wives, you've got to respect your husband because that's what builds him up. Husbands, you have to love your wives. You do need to watch a rom-com with her, but it needs to be because you watched it. You need to take her on a date. You need to do whatever it is that is your wife's, as that Mitch album or whatever his name was, her love language is. You need to love her, not the way you're good at, the way she needs. There's a big difference. You know, it it would have been easier if God would have just said, each man must respect his wife and each wife must love her husband, right? That would have made it so easy. 
Why, why did God make it opposite? Because if it was that way, we would have been working out of a selfish giving what we need instead of giving ourselves to what somebody else needs. God wants you to not work out of your own strength and your own needs, but God wants you to work out of his strength and the other's needs. It's called giving of yourself, and it's hard. It, 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 it's, it's extremely difficult, and, and I, and I want to say this right now just in case. You wives, you think, you think it should be easy for, a, to, for your husband to love you. Well, if he would just blah, blah, blah. Because it's easy, it comes natural for y'all to love. And husbands, you're like, why can't she just respect me? Why can't she just trust me? I trust her. I value her opinion. I never call her an idiot. But it's equally hard on each side to give what the other needs, not give what you want. It's not easy. But I'm telling you, it's biblical truth, and it will work. Because doing it God's way promotes selflessness. Doing it the other way produces selfishness. It's doing something so that you get what you need instead of giving what the other needs. I often use the illustration of an airplane. And it's the best illustration I could come up with. I, I tried to come up with a cowboy illustration. I've just not been able to do it. But do you know an airplane has no choice except to fly because of the shape of the wing? It produces different types of, of air pressure above and underneath the wing, and it has no choice but to fly. You know what happens when one or both of those air pressures messes up? The plane falls out of the sky, okay? When a, when a wife is respecting her husband and when a husband is loving his wife, Man, you are screaming down the, screaming down the uh, runway, and you are taking off, and you can climb to 50,000 feet or however high God takes you. But you know what happens when wives love their husbands and husbands respect their wives? Can you do this? Can that plane, can it go in reverse and do the same way? It doesn't work. The shape of the wing is wrong. They'll never get off the ground. And, and here's the point of that is that most marriages is I have this vivid image of this marriage is driving down the interstate in a 747. They never get off the ground because they haven't figured out that wives need to respect their husbands and husbands need to love their wives, not the other way around. And they wonder why their marriage doesn't go anywhere and get caught in traffic jams and everything. You weren't meant to drive your marriage in a 747 down the interstate. You were meant to soar and fly and go places that you can never get to on the ground. And it can be done. So here's the story. I was having trouble sleeping. And we were at Walmart one day over by the pharmacy. My wife was, you know, getting something over there. And I looked up, and there's like Tylenol PM and, you know, some other stuff. And she knew I, you know, I mean, it was, I, I'm, I, she says I sleep like a fish out of water. I just flop all night long. And I said, I can't sleep, you know. I mean, I can kind of sleep, but wake up, you know, 40, 50 times a night, you know, sleep for 10 minutes, have to turn over. And I said, man, I'm just, I'm just dead tired. I said, I think I'm going to get me some of this Salmonex, not Tylenol PM or something, but, you know, just, just sleep over-the-counter sleeping pills and try them. She goes, anything so I can get a good night's sleep. So I got them, put them in the basket, and we went on. And a couple of weeks, you know, that, that night I went and I, and I took one, and, and I realized real quick that I didn't want to sleep that much. 
I mean, I, I slept till like 4 o'clock the next day, even though I'd been up since 7. I mean, I was just like, oh, this is worse, right? And so the next night, I decided to break them in half. It was a, it was a little pill, and, I, and I, it came in this little blister pack. So, you know, you peel back the paper, and, and, and then you tear everything up because you can't peel back the paper, and you get your knife out and cut it in half, and you guys know what I'm talking about. So anyway, I, I, I got the little blister pack. I got it opened with some channel locks. And uh, I, I broke it in half, and I put it back in, and then I folded the foil back over in the, in the little paper, and I put it in my nightstand, right? Went to sleep. A couple of weeks goes by, and I'm laying on my bed in the middle of the afternoon, and I'm reading. I'm an avid reader. I, I love to read. If I'm, if I'm not out working and, I, and, and not playing with my family and some, I, I love to read. So I'm sitting there reading, and my wife comes in, and, and you wives, you know what I'm talking about, and you husbands know what I'm talking about, when there's something obviously wrong. My wife is mad. And so I'm sitting there, and I just pull my book up higher. The camel in the sand, right? If I don't see her, she won't see me. I'm scared to ask. But anyway, and it was strange because there, there I mean, I, I hadn't done anything except lay on the made bed, and I mean, that was not that big. I mean, she's never been upset about that or anything. I even took my boots off, you know. Was, nothing should be wrong. So she, she comes in again. She's putting some stuff away. She's slamming the closet. So I took a deep breath, and I said, honey, what's wrong? She said, you don't want to know. And I thought about saying, you're probably right, but, but we have this fear that the president is permanent, and this is going to be my marriage for the next 60 years, if it lasts that long. I mean, something is wrong. So I was like, honey, I mean, what's wrong? And she turned on me, or she turned toward me, and she said something that I'll never forget. And the reason I won't forget it is not because it was what she said, it was because it was so out of character. I mean, it, it's like your perfect little dog trying to attack your face. I mean, it's just like, what in the world? My wife turned to me and she said, you want to know what's wrong? And I said, no, no, I, I didn't, I didn't. I, I, said, I said, yeah, talk to me, babe. Because, I mean, my heart's beating 100 miles an hour, right, but I'm trying to be cool, right? I even put my book down and I'm sitting up on the edge of the bed now and I'm like, What's wrong? She goes, you're a liar. That's what's wrong. Now, you want to strike the heart of a man, especially a man that prides himself on character and integrity and everything? And, I mean, it was a blow. But, I, but more, than, more than it hurting, I was like, I seriously, it was so out of character for her because my wife is one of the most loving, generous, compassionate women I know, and I mean, I thought this was like invasion of the body snatchers or something. I mean, my wife had never in 13 years of marriage ever said anything even remotely close to that. And I looked at her and I said, I'm a liar? She goes, yes, you are. So I start thinking back, right, because that's what we do. What did I lie about? I couldn't think of anything. I mean, I'm not above, you know, everybody lies a little bit, you know, here and there, mostly to protect themselves, but still, you know. And I, but I couldn't think of anything. 
And I said, what did I lie about? And she said, you've been taking those sleeping pills. I was like, what? She said, I found them in your, in your nightstand. You've been taking those sleeping pills. I said, that's why I bought them. I, 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 now I'm really confused. And guys, you know you've been there. You're like, you just, I was like, that, 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 that's why I bought them. She said, but you didn't tell me you'd been taking them. I said, well, I, I'm sorry. I said, I, I mean, in my man's mind, if I buy them, I'm going to use them. That's the way we operate. You know, if I buy, if I buy a Coke, I drink it. I don't put it up on the mantle. I drink it before I'm out of the parking lot. You know, I'm like Napoleon Dynamite. You know? And, and, and so I tried to diffuse it, right? Because that's what we do, guys. We try to diffuse. And I made the worst mistake in history. And I said, honey, I wasn't hiding anything from you. If I was going to hide something from you, you'd never find it. Yes, I am an idiot. It sounded good in my mind. It did. I thought it was like a Perry Mason closing arguments. I really, I mean, in my mind, the way that happened was, was like, you know, you're right. I'm sorry. I should have known better. It went the opposite of that. So what are you hiding? I'm not hiding nothing. How do I know? I mean, it, the guys, I mean, I've just bailed out of the airplane without a shoot on. <sighs> this is horrible, right? I, I have just made 2,000 pounds of TNT that's lit. I have just now switched the atomic bomb countdown. It, it, it is going, right? And I'm like, oh, my gosh. So she storms out of the room. And I just sat there. I didn't know what to do. I mean, like, seriously, I, I'm like, you're an idiot. But I was trying, right? You know, so I sat there and, and, and I did something. I prayed. And I said, God, what do I do? He said, why don't you start by listening to her? I don't think she'll talk to me. Why don't you go in there and try? Okay. So I walk in there and I said, uh, can you talk? She said, no. And I said, would you please, before you file for divorce, will you uh, come in my office just, just for privacy's sake? And would you sit in this chair and me in this chair? And let's try something. And she did, which was crazy. She sat in one chair and I sat in the other. And I said, I want to listen to you. She goes, no, you don't. You've never listened to me in 13 years. I said, well, would you give me this opportunity just once? She had her arms crossed, had her legs crossed. You know, really, body language covered up, right? And so she said, we'll see. I said, go ahead. And over about the next 20 minutes, I'm not going to explain to you the whole conversation, but here's the high points. She called me a liar. She told me that I did not love her. She told me that I did not love the kids. She told me that she knew that I wished that I had never married her or gotten myself involved with all of her 
you know, her two biological kids. And she said that you care more about everyone else than you care about me. She said, we get the crumbs and everyone else gets the best of you. She said, you are great with everyone else, but horrible to us. She said, you are funny, giving, and put everyone else first, and I am dead last. And she said, you will give to others a shirt off your back, but you can't even give me this much love. That was a 20-minute conversation. And it was so hard to sit there and listen to that. You know that lump in your throat? I, I would like to know where that comes from when, when you're trying not to cry and you're trying real hard and you get that real severe pain in your throat. Well, I wasn't going to cry. I wanted to argue. When she said, you're a liar, I wanted to say, no, I'm not. And when she said, you don't love me, I wanted to say, I wouldn't be here if I didn't love you. And for every single thing, man, I wanted so bad. Just to, just to tell her how wrong she was, that, that everything that she was saying, that there wasn't a morsel of truth in it. And it was so hard to, to have my wife, the woman I love more than anybody else on, on this earth besides God, look me in the eye and say those things to me. My heart was breaking. And on one side, I had that devil, and he's like, man, that is BS right there, man. Can you believe she's telling you that? After everything that you've done for her, she has the gall to sit there and accuse you of this and that and this and that. And I had the, 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 the Lord on this side saying, you told her you'd listen, just listen. So I'm getting this lump in my throat because I want to argue so bad. And I'm talking about it was reaching like level nine pain. I mean, it took every ounce of my being not to tell her how wrong she was. And then she got done. She sat there still with her arms crossed, still looking at me. And I said, is that all? She looked at me and said, no, that was intermission. And she lit into me for another 10 or 15 minutes. And I mean, it, I'm serious. It was one of the worst experiences of my life because I had the devil on this shoulder saying, man, that's enough. You've taken enough, man. There's only so much a man can take. And the Lord's on the other side saying, you told her you'd listen. Just listen. So I listened. And finally, when she got done, I said, is that all? She said, that's pretty much it. And so literally, I'm looking her in the eyes, but I'm actually praying to God. And I said, okay, God, I did it. I listened to her. And he said, did you? Yes, sir. He said, repeat it back to her. Mm, okay, so let me get this straight, honey. I'm a liar. I don't love you. I don't love the kids. You wish you you wish that you think that I would. I wish I would have never married you. I care more about everyone else than I care about you. I give you the crumbs, and I give everyone else the best of me. I'm great with everyone else, but I'm horrible to you. I'm funny, giving, and put everyone else first, and you come in dead last, and then I'll give to others the shirt off my back, but I can't even love you. Is that about right? And she goes, surprisingly, yes, that's it. So I sat there, and I started praying again. She didn't know it. I'm just looking her in the eye, and I kind of looked to my, my spiritual self, looked to that right shoulder where the Lord was, and I was like, now what do I do? And he said, apologize for it. 
I said, uh-uh, uh-uh, ain't happening, ain't happening. And that devil on the left shoulder, he's like, see, I told you, man. Even God thinks you've done all those things. And I was like, I haven't done them. God says, apologize for each and every one of them. And I said, no way. I ain't doing it. Now, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, Ephesians 5 talked about our personal responsibilities. And then starting in 21, it says, submit to each other. And 22, wives, submit to your husbands. In 25, Ephesians 5, 25, husbands, love your wives. And we went all the way back to Genesis and talked about the curses and all of this stuff. And isn't it funny that in Ephesians 5, 33, the very last verse in Ephesians 5, it says, so again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and his wife must respect her husband. And then it gets into Ephesians chapter 6, and it says, and he's still talking about relationships. He says, children, obey your parents. You know, uh, 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 slaves, obey your masters, and, and all of this stuff. Still talking about relationships. But then, in verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 6, there's this word, finally. Finally. You know when you use the word finally is when you're summarizing everything up. And is the beginning of one of the most famous verses in the Bible. We talked about the famous verse in Ephesians 5.22, wives submit to your husbands. Well, now we're going to go to another famous passage of Scripture. And it says, finally. Talking about in Ephesians 5, 1 through 20, our, respons- our personal responsibilities. And then how to be have a good marriage of husbands loving your wives and wives submitting to your husbands and respecting your husbands. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. What was the first scheme of the devil? It's to come between a husband and wife, to turn them on each other. And how did he do that? He did it with a lie. Was the lie directed at Adam, or was the lie directed at Eve? Did the devil attack Adam, or did the devil attack Eve? Here's the rest of the story, but you needed to know that part. I've debated on whether or not to say this, so I'm just going to say it. In the Bible, you read all sorts of things about visions from God. Well, I had one. It was very strange. In, in, in like, it probably happened in less than a heartbeat, but I had a vision from God. This was it. I had a vision of a castle, and I had a vision of me riding towards this castle in a full armor. It was cool. Man, I look like gladiator or something. You know, I'm like you know, six foot five, 250 pounds. I mean, that's what I am now spiritually, but not, not physically. I'm like on Fiona, but my feet are dragging the ground, you know, coming in from fighting dragons and everything. <laughs> I'm serious. This is, what I, this is what God gave me. I'm riding across the drawbridge, and I enter into this beautiful courtyard that is my home, and there standing in the middle of the courtyard is the most radiant beauty I've ever seen. It's a woman I call my wife, and she's got a thousand arrows sticking out of her. 
You see, while I had been out saving the world, I had left my castle unguarded. I was strong enough to defend my castle, but I wasn't home to defend the heart of the castle. The walls were big and strong, and the moat was deep, and it had, it, you know, it had alligators and alpacas in it. And I mean, it, it was heavily defended, okay? But I had left the gate down. And while I was out busy saving the world, I'd let my heart, I'd left my heart unguarded. My fight was not with my wife but against the rulers, authorities, powers of this dark world, against spiritual forces and heavenly realms. Each one of those things that my wife had set across from me and listed was written on an arrow that were piercing her body. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16, it says, Take up the shield of faith with which, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. In my wife's body were flaming arrows and she was looked like a pincushion. And she had tears rolling down her cheek. And she was sitting in an office chair across from me with her arms crossed and her legs crossed. And every one of those, she wasn't accusing of me. She was reading the arrow, the lies that I had left unguarded. Because see, just like Adam was in charge of the garden, I'm in charge of my marriage. It's my duty. I have the full armor of God. And I had left my beloved unguarded while I was out saving the world. And you know what? She wasn't accusing me of those things. She was naming her pain. She had come to me for help. And as the head of the household, as the guardian of the castle, as king of the land, only I could pull the arrow of lies out of her. And that's the vision that God gave me. And so I apologized. She when God said, now apologize, he gave me that vision. And I looked my wife dead in the eye. And at each one of these, I seriously saw myself grabbing an arrow named, you're a liar. Your husband is a liar. And I pulled it out and the wound started to close. And I apologized and I said, I'm sorry that I don't love you because that's what was written on that arrow. And I pulled it out. And I threw it on the ground. And I said, I'm sorry that I don't love the kids the way I should. And I pulled that arrow out. And I said, I'm sorry that sometimes I wish I would never have married you. And I pulled that arrow out and threw it on the ground. And I said, I'm sorry that I care about more about everyone else than I care about you. And I pulled the arrow out. I said, I'm sorry that you get the crumbs while everyone else gets the best of me. And I pulled that arrow out. And I said, I'm sorry that I'm great with everyone else, but horrible to you. As I pulled the arrow out, I said, I'm sorry that I'm funny and giving to everyone else and leave you dead last. And I pulled the arrow out. And I said, I'm sorry that I will give others the shirt off my back, but I, that I can't even love you. And I pulled the arrow out. By apologizing... For each one of those things, I withdrew every arrow by naming her pain and withdrawing it, which is a stark contrast to the previous 13 years of marriage. Because you know what I used to do? I used to say, I'm not a liar. And I'd take that arrow and I'd shove it in even further. I'm not funny and, and giving to everyone else and make you last. Shove it in there. Shove it in there. Shove it in there. 
shove it in there by arguing with her, by arguing with her, by arguing with her. It's what I'd done for 15 years. No wonder she looked like a pincushion. It's a wonder that she's even breathing with the amount of pain that I inflicted on her by arguing with her and pushing those into her and by leaving my heart unguarded. When I argue with the pain, I used to drive the arrow deeper. By apologizing, I withdrew the arrow, arrows one by one. I sat there as I apologized for each one of those, and I saw tears start to roll down her face. And when I got done apologizing for all of the pain that I had caused by not being her champion, by not being the biblical man of God that I should be, the first time I ever listened, the first time that I ever apologized for all of the pain, I sat there and I prayed for the third time. And I said, now what, God? And he said, wait. So I sat there in silence. For a talker like me, that's pretty tough. I sat there in silence and I heard the Lord saying, just wait, just wait. And then something unexpected happened. Her arms unfolded, her legs uncrossed. Where she was turned away from me, she swiveled her chair towards me and she got up and she walked over to me and she sat down in my lap, cried, hugged me around the neck and said that was the best talk that we've ever had. I feel like the weight of the world has been lifted off of me. That's what a man of God looks like. Unfortunately, my poor wife had to suffer through 13 years of attacks from the devil because I was not a man of God. I might have appeared like it to many of you, but I was not a true man of God because a true man of God would never leave his home or his heart unguarded. And starting on that day, I made up my mind to not just be a man of God, but to be a husband of God. Husbands, if you want to be a real man, you have to be the champion of your home. If you want to have a great marriage, then you have to be a great man, a gladiator. It starts and ends with you, and I'm going to tell you how to do it. Actually, I'm not going to tell you. God's going to tell you. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, not if the day of evil comes, when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything to stand, Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of spirit, which is the word of God. Men, you cannot be a man of God without that right there. You will be humiliated, you will be denied, and you will be left wanting. And your wife will suffer the consequences for it. I pray right now that you men are convicted, just like I was that day, to take up the full armor of God and become the men that your wives need you to be, to become the men that God has commanded you to be. There is no excuse, no explanation. 
you want everything better, then you better prepare for battle. Because it does not say if the day of evil comes. It says when the day of evil comes. And might I dare say, men, that some of your wives are sitting here today and they have felt this exactly. And they long for that type of man to come in and be the man that God joined with them. Men, I told you that I was going to put the hammer down on you. And the only reason I am is because God put the hammer down on me and it rolls downhill. But once it's reached the bottom, you know what Save the Cowboy would be like if each and every one of you men, I don't care if you're married or not, you still be that man in your relationships, in your workplace, in your families, in your communities, in your organizations. If we had that many men of God just at this morning service, we could change the world. So I'm going to challenge you men right now to stand up and be men of God that wear the full armor of God, that are who God has called them to be. Let's pray. God, today you are making men, real men, men who will love their wives like Christ loved the church and give themselves up for her, not by dying once, but by dying to themselves every single day to offer themselves up as a living sacrifices for their wives. A man that is the head of the household is the living example of daily sacrifice. And I pray that men like this have been born today and that the result will be changed lives. God, give these men the strength that cannot come from them, but can only come from you. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I know it hasn't been one of those funny sermons, but this is one of the life-changing ones. Men, if you need to talk, if you need some guidance, go to God first and me second, and I'll be there for every single one of you. Now, I'm going to ask you something. This was very deeply personal story. Please don't run to my wife and ask her her version of this. You will feel what a gladiator feels like, what it's like to be attacked by a gladiator if you do, okay? This is hard for her. She went through the painful side of it. Okay, you can come talk to me about it. You leave my heart alone, okay? You often wonder why she doesn't come to church. It's because of that crap right there. So leave my wife alone. If you want to talk to her, love on her, okay? Thank you all. We'll see you next week.